Welcome, everybody, to Primetime with Sean Mooney. Primetime with Sean Mooney. I cannot believe I'm saying this, but this is the 100th episode of the podcast. That's why we needed such a grand entrance there. It is a, uh, what a milestone, what a land, what a landmark for us. I mean, 100 episodes. We've been at this for 100 episodes. I cannot believe it. And uh, I have to thank people like Court Bauer for getting uh, this all rolling way back in June of 2017, almost two years ago. And, of course, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who was part of the first 20 episodes. Also, our tech-slash-social media guru, Evan Polisher, and producer extraordinaire, uh, Casey Jerome Beck. And, uh, of course, the biggest people I have to thank is you guys for listening. Really, we would not be doing this. We would have not reached our 100th episode without you. So it's just crazy. It's crazy to think about it because I remember that uh, after Hacksaw decided that, um, you know, he couldn't make the time to do it because he was so damn busy and, uh, you know, we were still kind of struggling along there. And uh, I wanted to keep doing it. And originally I wanted to call it the Event Center, but... uh, you know, Court had already kind of put this in motion, and then Hacksaw was going to be a part of it. But I always had the idea, idea I'd love to do a podcast where I had different guests on every week. So that's the way we started. And we basically went week to week. I'd get somebody to come on uh, as a guest, and then next week I'm fishing for somebody else. And it uh, just kept rolling and rolling and got uh, more and more guests. And here we are, 100 episodes. <laughs> like, I, it's just it's so hard for me to think about. And, uh, you know, Casey and Evan told me, you know, we've been planning this for a few weeks because who would be our 100th episode? And, and uh, we, of course, always leave that up to our Patreon members to select because they had a few choices for this one. But this is a biggie. We want it to be a big one. So uh, we'll talk about that in just a second uh, to, to tell you who is going to uh, be our 100th guest, our 100th uh, uh, person on the show that uh, is a part of all this. I guess it wouldn't be the 100th person because, of course, Hacksaw was there at the beginning. But but our 100th episode, the guest that's going to be on there. All right, we got that straightened out. <laughs> we had another PTSM watch along this uh, this past Sunday. And this time we had Diana Hart-Smith. And I love Diana. She is just an awesome person, been through a lot in her life, and uh, still representing the the royal family of wrestling, the Hart Foundation. And really, that, that's the true Hart Foundation is all those you know, Stu Hart and Helen Hart and all the brothers and sisters. And, uh, you know, of course, Jim Neidhart was a part of that. And when we mentioned, you know, Brett and him teaming up. But uh, we, uh, you know, did a podcast with Diana to talk about Davy Boy Smith, uh, her uh, her husband. And, uh, of course, the greatest match ever. SummerSlam 1992. One of the best ever, really. Uh, Brett taking on Davy Boy, and so much happening around that match, uh, the way it uh, all went down. And so we asked Diana if she wanted to come on and actually uh, watch this with us and give us her take, and you know, a lot of memories coming back, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, the memories came flooding back for her about how much tension was around that match and uh, what she was going through emotionally, what Davy Boy was going through. Of course, there was so many rumors flying around that match still to this day. Brett has his take, Diana and uh, has her take, uh, and Davy Boy's not here to answer it, to uh, give his side of it. But uh, you know, who knows? Uh, we weren't there. We weren't in the ring. We don't know if Brett was calling the whole thing as he claimed. We don't know. We weren't there. But I'll tell you one thing. One thing we do know 
It was one of the greatest matches ever. I, I really, I, I don't know if you say top 10 or something like that, but it is right up there. And what a setting. Wembley Stadium. Uh, it was a beautiful night there. Uh, 80,000 plus people. Uh, Davey Boy in front of his, uh, his countrymen, countrywomen. Uh, you know, <laughs> and the, the crowd was just, just awesome. It was uh, an experience that I certainly will never forget. And Diana... It's uh, certainly burned into her memory. But a few things came back in this. And I, I, if you saw it, I, I, I think uh, you absolutely will agree with me. If you missed it, uh, sorry. Sorry for that. Because uh, Patreon members, if you're a Mooney or if you're a, a Legion of Who member, uh, you would have been able to join us just, uh, just by getting on with us. Uh, you know, but it's also available, it's also on, um, available through primetimemoonylive.com. And uh, you can still go on there and you can watch the VOD uh, of it and, and catch the replay. But uh, it, it is really, it's going to be certainly a favorite of mine for a long time to come. And that's just part of one of the, the bonuses of being a Patreon member is you get to uh, share those watch-alongs with us. But uh, everybody, of course, can, can come on board and see it as well. Uh, great episode with Scott Norton last week. Uh, Scott uh, had a great career not only as a wrestler, but also as an arm wrestler. If you caught the episode, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, he was you know, the best of the world at one time and, and beat the, the, the legendary uh, guy that was, you know, at the top of the world of arm wrestling. And, and I remember back, back then it was, it was big. You'd see it on the wide, wide world of sports every once in a while. But uh, you know, he had great stories and not, not only about his time in the squared circle, but also in that world. And, and he's such a great story. I mean, he grew up in Minneapolis with some of the guys who would become among the best wrestlers in the world. Uh, we're, you know, we're talking uh, Hawk and Animal, and uh, uh, Rick Rude was there, Kurt Hennig. Now, these guys all hung out together, and he bounced at uh, one of the clubs there with Hawk and Animal. I mean, just uh, just awesome. And, and then he, as I mentioned, the arm wrestling, he was in that movie Over the Top with Sylvester Stallone. He talks about that in the episode and uh, it helped launch his career in the ring. He ended up going to Japan and just great stuff. And I especially loved his story about the tour. He went on to North Korea with Ric Flair and really barely got out alive. So if you haven't caught that episode, don't miss it. You know, go back in the archive there and, and uh, take a listen. Uh, this week was no exception. Uh, I was able to track down, uh, you know, uh, if you remember way back with some of the episodes, we talked to Craig Minervini Craig DeGeorge, as many of you knew, and uh, another guy that I kept wanting to uh, get on the program was Todd Pettengill, uh, another announcer from the 90s, uh, you know, uh, during that period of time, who was on the air for the WWE for a number of years. I mean, he was with the WWE, I think, even longer than I was. I think he was there for six years. I was there five. And it was great uh, to finally catch up with him and, and just chat because, you know, we were both there together. I don't know if people realize that briefly. But um, we never had a chance you know, to sit down and spend much time together. So it was great to hear his perspective on his time in, uh, as I like to refer to, the Camelot of the wrestling world, the kingdom of Vince McMahon, uh, Stanford, Connecticut, where he spent a lot of his time. He would go to some of these events, but mostly his life was getting in a car in New York City because that's where he worked. He was uh, also on the air on the radio there. And their big, uh, the big show was a radio, very, very popular radio show. And he's been at WPLJ uh, out of New York City all those years. He just, uh, he's still with them. And, uh, you know, getting 
the lowdown on what his life was like back then and comparing notes on a few things. It was a great conversation, very fun. We had a really good time together. And uh, I think that uh, you guys could tell. You're going to be able to tell when you hear us talking. But um, our Patreon members had a few choices this week, and they wanted to hear from Todd Pettengill. So what do you say we get to it? Ding, ding, ding. All right, folks, joining me now is someone I have wanted to have on the podcast for a long time. Uh, when it came to guests, I'm not kidding, uh, he was on the original list, and he is part of the alumni of great announcers that have been a part of uh, the history of the WWF slash WWE, and I also happen to think he uh, is one of the most creative they've ever had as well. Uh, welcome, Todd Pettengill. Todd, thanks for coming on Primetime. How are you? It's been a while. Man, it's been more than a while, Sean. Great to talk Jeez. to you. I tell you, man, I was, we were just talking before we uh, got started here that the last time I saw you, I think, was at the uh, TV studio in Hamilton. And, uh, you know, and this is something we need to get straightened out right away because, you know, you hear all the time with these people. And, and Todd, you know, like I do, I'm sure you were, you've been amazed of how people just remember. They don't let go. They, they uh, you know... Huh. They really, if they endear themselves to you for whatever, better or worse, but the wrestling fans are just incredible. And a lot of people think, oh, you know, Todd Pettengill replaced Sean Mooney. And uh, that wasn't the case. I mean, I was still there no. when you came on board and I was the event center guy. And, and Vince brought you in yep. because of, of what you could do. I mean, you were just a really talented guy and he wanted to bring you in. So, uh I, we we just need. I just wanted to get that out there, so folks, and if you remember when you when you came up there, and we'll get into uh, everything that happened. But um, he, you know, when when Vince saw you, because Vince was a big listener of, uh, he listened to the radio, and he was a big fan of the big show uh, that you had with Scott Shannon, and that's kind of really how it all started, right? He was he just listened to you on the radio. Yeah, that's exactly how it started, and called me sort of out of the blue and said, "This is Vince McMahon," and I said. Uh, okay. Yeah. And he said, uh, listen, what do you know about wrestling? And I said, absolutely nothing. He said, perfect. How'd you like <laughs> to come up and audition to host a show? And I said, perfect. And <laughs> that's how it started. He said, I, I really want somebody with an outside perspective. I want somebody who, you know, comes in here and just learns it as they go. And I, it's a fan. Basically, I want a fan. And you have a little bit of ability, so let's see how you do. Come up and audition, and that's how it started. Yeah, and and uh, you know Vince at that time was really uh, you know experimenting. It, your story, and we just had Rob Bartlett on, and I, I uh, I'm sure you remember who he is, and of course he, he's a, was sure. a part of radio in New York with with Imus. But it was kind of the same thing. I mean, Vince was a fan of, of the Imus show as well, and had brought uh, Robin, and he he was the same way. Uh, but when you, when you went up there, like when I, I was also an outsider outside, I didn't know what the hell I was doing when I first got there. Um, how did you prepare? I mean, he, he kind of gave you that and said, Hey, uh, no, no problem. Now, you know, I don't care if you do nothing, but, uh, I have a feeling that, you know, you're somebody who has always prepared in your career. What did you do to prepare for that, that ride up to Stanford? (laughs) It was really strange, Sean, because I, I, I didn't know how to prepare. I mean, you couldn't cram yeah. uh, all kinds of knowledge into, I think it was literally a two-day period where he, he may have called me on a Tuesday and said, well, how's Thursday, you know, oh, wow. after your yeah. show? So I, 
I was like, okay. I mean, you know, what, what the hell did I know? I was like, sure, let's, let's do this. This will be fun. So I, I, they sent a town car, which, you know, Hey, for me, I was like, if I don't get anything else out of this, I get a ride in a town (laughs) car and you know, I'll meet Vince and this will be a fun day. So great story. I showed up. Yeah. So I showed up, they, they brought me to, uh, to the studio and, uh, everybody, and I always say this was just the nicest to me immediately. Uh, there were no, you know, no prima donnas. There were no, it was just salt of the earth people. And, and right on down from Vince, uh, to, to the, you know, people that, that drove for them, it, just great people. So I, I w- was ushered into a studio where I think in typical Vince McMahon fashion, he put me on ice for a little while. He just wanted me to sit there and look around and think about it. And I had done a little bit of television. I, you know, dabbled. Um, so I, I, you know, I felt like I was okay. And, you know, in radio, you, you have to talk, you have to sort of fill four hours. So you, you, you know, you can never really be at a loss for words, but I had no idea what to expect. I said, this guy asked me any wrestling questions. I mean, I'm done. I'm done. I, I have no idea what I'm doing. So in comes this, uh, three piece suit and the, you know, you open the door and the shadow sort of, it was right out of a movie, you know, yeah. it just, it was unmistakably Vince McMahon. And he walks in and he shakes your hand with that thousand pound grip, uh, that How he doing, pal? I don't pal, <laughs> you know, the slick back yeah. hair and yeah. it was great. And he, uh, he said, so, um, again, you, you don't know anything about wrestling. I said, well, nah, I mean, I, I remember you in your powder blue suit, you know, when I was yeah. surfing the channels and he yeah. sort of laughed at that and yeah. he said, all right, well, roll, let's roll the cameras here. And then he literally threw me a bottle of water and said, sell it to me, mm-hmm. but you got to do it in two minutes, even. So I sold him a bottle of water for two minutes. This is the best water I've ever tasted. This water comes from a spring that is far up in the mountains in Saratoga, New York. And I just went on and I riffed on it yeah. for two minutes. They gave me a countdown. I hit it. And he said, that was terrific. That was yeah. my interview. Yeah. So you didn't have to sell the broom, which was uh, kind of the other announcer uh, uh, <laughs> item no. that you had to sell. That's, that's, uh, that's what I got when I got up there. I got the, the you sell got the, the broom. broom. Yeah, but, but obviously, I mean, you, you, you impressed them. Uh, and, and I have to imagine that your background in radio, and we'll get into this as we... Uh, we travel along here, but, um, more than even, I think being in front of a camera doing radio. And as you mentioned about, you know, having to talk ad lib, uh, you don't have scripts in front of you. You mm-hmm. got to do it for four hours. Must've been a pretty good, uh, background to have for what you would end up doing with the WWE. Oh, it really was. I mean, and, and I think Vince knew that and that's why he sort of sought out radio people. We're not, we're not the best looking uh, bunch of people, but we can, <laughs> for we radio, can, we can talk, <laughs> you know? Right, right. So yeah, I think Vince knew that. And, and especially that, that really came into play when I was doing the countdown shows and you just had to, you know, listen, you know, you always had Kevin in your ear, uh, yeah. Kevin Dunn and, yeah. um, you know, uh, so th- there were hard points and, and I never had a problem with somebody talking to me at the same time that I was talking. It just seemed sort of natural because you always had a producer in your ear at some point, you know, when you were doing radio or you were getting a hard count. So I think that was his, his 
one of his big things too, is he, he wanted somebody who could get in and get out. And I was okay at that. I could get in and get out. And, and sometimes, you know, there's a little bit of something in between your get in and get out that hopefully you give to the audience and they take something away from. Yeah. Well, and, and, and most of the audience and the people that are listening now, uh, you know, are, are, are big wrestling fans. And what I like to bring uh, to the podcast is, is having people really understand where these personalities come from. And, you know, you were kind of a prodigy in radio. I mean, you started it at 13 in uh, Amsterdam, New York, which uh, is, is near Albany. Um, mm-hmm. where are you, you know, like from the beginning, like when you were a kid, were you the kid with the, the hairbrush, uh, doing, you know, the, the standups and, and, you know, was that what you did as a kid? Because, uh, your career started pretty damn early. Yeah. It's funny, Sean. My, my mom said, you're either going to be successful or in prison. And right now, it's about <laughs> 50. um, it, it, that, that, I, I was really, I never had any any illusions of grandeur about uh, broadcasting. I, I, I was a kid in school who just didn't shut up. I, mm. I really enjoyed making people laugh. I, I tried to be, um, you know, a, a good friend. And when you're a good friend, you don't pay attention in school, you know, cause you want to know what's mm. going on with your friends. Right. Um, so I, I, I got in a lot of trouble and my mother said, it was really my mom who was the, the driving force uh, in doing this. She said, well, Listen, I, I know a guy who runs the local radio station, and after school, I, I think you should go there and just work. Do whatever you need to do, but you, you should have a job. Now, I'm 13, so my mother was a school teacher for 40 years. So yeah. apparently, you know, 13, it was time to, Good time. you know, let's go here. Forget yeah. child labor. So, right. <laughs> I mean, you got to start earning, earning your way, kid. You got to Yeah. And I was like, well, 13, yeah, okay. Everybody else is kind of hanging out, going to the mall and doing stuff. But yeah, work, okay, yeah, I guess I'll do that. So that, that's how it started. I, I really literally went to a, a lo- the local radio station in Amsterdam, which was an AM, a WCSS. It was 1490, still remember it very clearly. And, and just started hanging out. And my voice had changed uh, pretty early, at around 12, I guess. So I always sounded much older than I was. Um, and when I talked, they were like, Whoa, you, you really have a, a voice for radio. And, you know, back in that, in that time, which was 1980, um, you know, you, you needed to have a, a voice for radio. They had, you know, it was the big, it was the yeah. golden tones and it was that yeah. era, you know? And so that's how I fell into it. I, I never wanted to be on the radio, but it, it was, a uh, something that gave me an outlet to talk to entertain, to hopefully make people laugh. And that's, that's really how it got started. So when you, when you get a job and I think you were in high school when you actually were yeah. you know, on the air and I guess what were you just spinning records like a DJ and uh, you know, in the afternoons or what was, what was really like your first original aired you know, job on the air? I think the, the first thing they had me do was read a newscast, um, the new news, which in a uh-huh. small town like that, you actually read the obituary report. So you actually are, are people in those small towns. That's how they found out uh, who passed away. So I remember just knowing nothing. And they threw me in the studio and gave me these obituary reports to read. 
and that was that was how it started. People say it was kind of ironic because you you know you killed a lot of audiences along the way, but, but you know that's that's uh, kind of ironic, I guess. That I got my start reading about dead people. Yeah, but, you're still uh, killing it. Yeah, that's I'm still killing it. That's how it started, man. And I would mispronounce things, and yeah. you know they tell me no, nah, you can't. And Amsterdam, uh, New York, was was very Italian and very Polish, so the names were a challenge. Um, The first funeral home that I had to read, now I know, is pronounced Gujelik Pamakai. But I said something like... Yeah, I mean, but I'll never forget it because the general manager came running in and he said, you should know this. And I said, put on 13. (laughs) I don't know anything. Um, But yeah, man. How how did you pronounce it? (laughs) Uh, Not like that. Just mangled. Yeah, I'm still doing that, and I'm almost. Oh, I killed it. <laughs> so you you, you keep funny. doing this, and I and I get what uh, out of high school. Do you when did you go to Albany? Because that was your your first break, your first big break, right? Yes, I uh, I started in Amsterdam in 1980, so I was a freshman in high school, and then in '84 when I graduated from high school, I went to Albany. Oh, that's crazy. I mean, that you're already starting a career. <laughs> Yeah, it w- listen, I, I, you know, I had both of my sisters had gone to college and yeah. were very smart and I, I was sort of not, um, <laughs> but I, I found, you know, I found something I'd love to do. I did it for the four years I was in high school and said, you know, this could be a, a pretty fun career. Um, back in that day, it was, you know, very different than it is now. It's corporate and it's very controlled and everything is sort of mapped out and you have to do this and this, but back in those days. You, you did what you wanted to. I mean, it, it was fun. And I said, man, they pay you for this? I mean, they pay you a lot. But right. but still, you know, I mean, at, at 13, you know, I'm getting like a, a paycheck. Um, and I think I made $118 my first month. Um, first which month. Which to me was like, oh, this is, yeah, yeah. my first month. Yeah. 118 bucks. I'm like, oh, man, this is awesome. <laughs> I can go get fast food and stuff. I can buy candy. Yeah. yeah I had a color TV in my yeah. bedroom. I was oh. like, oh, this is awesome. Well, and, and so you go to Albany, and it's uh, when they brought you up there, was it just to be a DJ or was it to be a morning host? Because if I'm not wrong, uh, you would do that, and it would end up being like the most highest rated program they ever had on the air there. Yeah, it's funny, Sean. I, I started in the newsroom. Um, yeah. That's where I, I was hired to, to do news. And then when I was on the morning shows doing news, they figured, oh, this guy's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so it turned out I, I then left the news department and became part of a, a morning show team. And then after a while, that you know sort of grew and grew. And I took over the show in 87, I believe. And from 87 to 91 was, yeah, doing mornings in Albany, living the dream, man. We, uh, we were lucky. We had some great people. Um, you might know a guy by the name of Sean Cothard, who, not, uh, his, yes. not, his, it, not his WWF name, WWE, yeah. but uh, he was my news guy uh, I hired. That, 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 and, that is so uh, crazy to think about. Isn't that weird? Yeah, well, and we will we will touch on that later too. But it is amazing how things you know uh, come around. Uh, but uh, 
Michael Cole. Yeah, it worked for you. Yeah. And you, you're the one that, that made the connection to the WWF, WWE. And he's just, yeah, he was an Uber fan. And I used to bust him constantly when we were in Albany. I said, well, and well, you're going to get a great career out of that. What are you going to know knowing wrestling? I mean, <laughs> you know, I used to yeah. hammer him about that on the air. But, yeah, yeah, we'll get to that, I guess. Yeah, it turned out all right for the guy. You know? Yeah, not bad. He did okay. <laughs> I'm waiting for my residual check, but I, I don't see any. Now, at that point in time, we're, uh, and I don't remember because, uh, you know, I was actually living in, in uh, Manhattan at the time, but... Um, were, were morning shows big? I mean, you know, because we saw, we, as we've seen over the years, that they became, they've become huge parts of, uh, you know, morning radio. But at the time, were there, mm-hmm. you know, maybe big markets that had, you know, the morning show, the morning zoos? Or was it kind of a thing that was just, just building at the time? It was building. I mean, in the 80s, it, by the late yeah. 80s, it was a thing, and it was yeah. taken off. Um, and that, that whole morning zoo format was, was really rocking. But yeah, I mean, morning radio has always been, um, and I think always will be to some degree, um, people's, you know, family, you, you're like family when you're with them and you're, yeah. they're getting ready for work and they're getting out the door. And as the zoo concept built and we sort of did a, a take on that, we didn't do a true sort of zoo format with all the bells and whistles and sound effects. We did some of that, but but it was it was definitely a formula that was working in radio. And then of course you had, you know, Howard Stern and doing the shock thing and, and that was wickedly wildly successful. But yeah. I never I never felt like that was my lane. Um I, I just you know, I, I really think it's and and this is certainly not a knock on Howard who's made a an unbelievable career, but for me, my path was a little you know, a little more straight ahead and just, you know, on and comedy. gone and straight give comedy. people what yeah. they want. Yeah. Straight, straight comedy pretty much, which has always been my, my love. You know? Were you doing, uh, the phone scams at that time? When did you start to develop that, uh, which became very successful for you when you got to New York, but were you already doing that stuff or did that come later? I was, I was doing yeah. those in Albany. Um, yeah. we actually, we actually had a, we, we got, really lucky and and as you said had some rating success there and 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 we're doing well so we had a a local television show there that we actually i would do phone scams live so we would go to really you did them live? you know mcdonald's yeah. yeah well literally live and and on video so we would we yeah. would uh get a couple of cars and you know i i would pretend to be i think i guess it was george bush at that time so the, I did the voice of the president going through a drive-through, um, and we filmed these things and we ran them on, you know. And then I ran into McDonald's and said, "Ah, oh, you've been scammed, you know." You're out. Yeah, right. So it was, you know, the evolution was there for a long time. And then, you know, when I got to New York, I said, "Hey, you know, these work pretty well for me. You want to try them here?" So that's how that uh, got going. Yeah, and then you would make another stop uh, before New York and Philly, but. Um where you really became uh, well-known in radio is when, of course, you, you made it to uh, when you got to New York. And, and how did that come along? Because, you know, that, uh, I, God, I think you're 25 at that time, and there's yeah. so many yeah. other radio personalities out there. How did you get on their radar to even get a shot at coming in and, and, uh, and working there? Well, it's interesting. It's, it's 
you talked about Philadelphia. I was I left Albany for Philly and yeah. and couldn't have been more excited. I was 25 years old, as you yeah. said, and um, just had a had a little daughter, and our house was on the market, you know. And, and we go to Philadelphia, and and I'm there for two weeks. I'm in a hotel room, and and they say, um, you know, I had to do an on air audition and all this stuff and getting back to my old job. And they're like, is he leaving? Is he, it was a, it was a really weird time. So finally I get the call from Philly and they say, you're hired. I go there. I'm in a hotel room literally for two weeks, not on the air. So they say, well, listen, here's the thing. The station's been sold. So we're not going to, we're not going to put you on the air. We don't know what the new owners are going to do. So that was a fun phone call back home. My my wife was terrific about it. She said, we just come home. And I said, I, I, I said, we don't have a home. The, the house just sold. So I said, well, what the hell are we going to do? So the program director in Philadelphia at Q104, her name is Mark Driscoll, very famous voice guy and got to be very good friends. And he said, listen, uh, Shannon just got to New York. He's burned through two partners in two months. He's looking for somebody to, uh, to co-host that morning show, or at the very least get on that show with him. Would you be interested? I said, look, I got no job. I got a kid. I got nowhere to live. Yeah. Let's, let's have that interview. So I drive to New York from, uh, from Philly. I meet with Tom Cuddy, who's the vice president of programming there. And then they bring in Scott. We have a great interview. Um, and we decide we're going to move forward with that. So it was a whirlwind of a month where, you know, I have a, a signed five-year contract for Philadelphia. So at that point you say, well, listen, I could hold you guys up for five years here. You, you got to yeah. pay me a no cut deal, but you don't want to be that guy because right. the industry is small. Yeah. You know, I'm 25 years old. So I said, look, give me something for moving expenses and we'll forget it. So they obviously were happy about that, agreed to it. And because, you know, the business is small, Sean, you don't want to, as much as a, a right as I had, and I felt sort of down about, man, I get this job, I'm moving from market 48 to market four. It's a yeah. big jump for me. And then I don't get on the air. Uh, but they, they do say everything happens for a reason, right? So I wind up in market number one at 25, uh, working with Shannon and uh at plj and and uh, i've been there for 28 years that's incredible and, and uh yeah you went from 48 to one that's uh, that's not a bad move uh you know <laughs> no. and, and people and people know scott shannon um uh, you know he's he's been he's an icon in radio and of course people recognize his voice if they listen to sean hannity because he's his uh his vo guy he does all of his intros but uh, mm-hmm. he could be a prickly guy. And as you mentioned, he had burned through two guys, you know, in a matter of months. What was it about you yeah. that really that made made it the connection and, and initially? And then why did it keep working for so long? Well, it was the first month was miserable. I mean, yeah. I remember going home and telling my wife, I said, I don't know, man, this guy is this guy's insane. I, I just I don't get it. Yeah. He you know, he's nuts. And, uh, you know, basically my wife, Carrie said, well, just, just do your thing. You know, I mean, they put me in there and, you know, he said, you, uh, why don't you uh, do the temperature when I throw it to you? And I said, yeah, all right, I'll do the temperature. 
Right. But, uh, so I, you know, so I would carve out, you know, you take what you're given, you know, so I would do a little bit more each time and, you know, it, it evolves, but it, it was, listen, that was a rocky, rocky start. Yeah. And we were, we were together about, eh, I want to say four, four months and, you know, never being shy. I went in, you know, to the, my boss and I said, look, I'm doing a lot on this show. You guys are paying me what I was making in Albany. How about a race? And, uh, really? I said, I said, I want my name on the show. And, uh, four months in five months in, it became Scott and Todd. So you got to speak up for yourself. Now, listen, I was a 25 year old kid full of piss and vinegar. You know, I, I, I thought in my head, I'm sure that I was better than I was, but you, you make your own moment, right? So unless yeah. you speak up and say something, you don't know what's going to happen. I was prepared for them to say, Hey, listen, calm down, relax, uh, just do what you do, but they didn't. And they agreed. And that's, you know, we started taking off from there and we had a, we had a great ride. It was, oh, we man. were together for 23 years. Yeah. But what won him over? Do you think it's just, you just kept showing up and, and, you know, producing things and he started to like what he was seeing or what, what, uh, what do you think made the difference for him when he finally, I mean, within yeah, four months, I, he's I got think I made him, I think I made him. Yeah. I think I made him laugh. I did. I didn't kiss his ass. I, I showed, I showed him respect, but, I also sort of, you know, uh, would appreciate it back. You know, if you're in a, in a partnership, it can't be all about one guy. And, and here's a guy that, you know, is, is really had a legendary name in the business yeah. and I'm, I'm coming from virtual obscurity. Um, so you, you do have to pay your dues. And I, and I did a lot of that and I did a, you know, I worked hard and I, I wrote things for him constantly that he would do and then got a great reaction to and, got some laughs. And so I, I think, you know, earning his trust over the years and, and coming through, you know, I mean, I, I worked hard. I, I, you know, I, I was there at four o'clock in the morning and wouldn't leave till four o'clock in the afternoon sometimes, wow. um, just working on stuff and, and, you know, doing parody songs and doing phone scams and, you know, so I think he realized that, you know, here's a guy that's putting in the work, and, uh, you know, after a couple of years, we, we found a rhythm and, and that's when the success started to happen for us. And, you know, there was nothing like radio in the nineties in New York city. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And then of course, when, you know, Vince called that added a whole nother dimension to my persona. Um, so I was able to sort of branch out and introduce the radio station to a, a different market of people. And, and vice versa. So I think it, it really was a win-win for everyone. Yeah, and, and, and uh, you, you mentioned the success that you had with Scott. I mean, uh, you know, folks, it's hard for you really to, to understand how the markets work, but, you know, there's uh, millions of people on that island every day, and then you're talking about a huge tri-state area that people listen to. And I think uh, your audience was estimated somewhere around 3 million every day, which is just amazing. One of those people who was listening, though, was, was Vince McMahon. And uh, you, you talked about, you know, going up there, but I heard another interview and you mentioned Linda and I, I, uh, when mm -hmm. I would uh, do my contract negotiations, when I was there, it was always Linda and, uh, always. uh we, we see what she's doing now. I mean, she's, uh, you know, part of the cabinet uh, with the president, but I knew then yep. that she was one sharp lady. Uh, but oh. you said that that was like one of your first encounters that you met with her. 
I did. Yeah, that, she yeah. was, uh, to this day, one of the smartest people I've ever met or known. Yeah. Yeah. So sharp and so focused and so brutally honest. I mean, yeah. nobody ever lied to me there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's, that's saying a lot, you know, you, you hear horror stories about Vince, but, and Linda, but it was nonsense. You know, anybody who ever asked me to this day, I was treated a hundred percent, uh, like a person. I wasn't lied to. They were fair. They were, uh, very accommodating with my radio schedule. So yeah, Linda was, was did all the negotiations and she was tough. Yeah. I mean, but fair, you know, and, uh, look, look, it was a part-time gig for me, right? Yeah. I was doing radio the whole time and had to, I was under contract and it was, it was nothing that, that was going to turn into a full-time gig for me. I knew that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think maybe at some point it could have had, had all of us chosen to go down that road, but, I was loving what I was doing. I was making great money. Um, so Linda and Vince were very accommodating, but you're right. Scheduling wise, it was always Linda. I dealt with Linda all the time. Really after that, after meeting Vince that first day, I probably didn't see him until the first pay-per-view. Yeah. But yeah, and, you know, and Linda, I remember meeting with her and like you said, how sharp she was. And I, I, I remember I did a, you know, I, I started to do these Coliseum videos and I got real smart. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have them pay me per tape that I host. And uh, she's like, across the table, she's like, I'm thinking there's no way. She's like, okay, now we could do that. Well, little did I know, you know, yeah. it's like a one, one shot deal. Now, if, if I was a really smart guy, I would have said, look, I don't, you know, I'll, I love to host these things, but give me, give me three cents a tape. You know, like if I if I knew what I was talking <laughs> yeah. about, if I knew what I was doing, and if it, yeah. if, if you ever get a network and it all goes digital, uh, I'd like to have that keep yeah. coming. You know, <laughs> uh, but I remember walking out of there kidding. going, "Man, Mooney, you are some kind of business guy." Ooh, <laughs> <you know? laughs> so, so when you get up there, uh, you know, I, I don't know if Vince had any idea what he was going to do with you. Uh, all he knew is he had no, this guy no. who was very talented. And I know what uh, WrestleMania Nine, I think, was your first one with the togas in Vegas. Yeah, uh, and the togas. Was that yeah. your first appearance? Was that really the first thing you did? It was. Yeah, that was the first thing I did. And man, I was here. We're in Vegas, right? We're outside, yeah. thousands of people. I'm I'm in a toga. Uh, yeah. Um, and I think I think they had a Bill Clinton look alike it i don't know if it was that one or if it was another we had a couple of those but um yeah that was that was big man i mean you you realize the magnitude of what you're doing but i gotta tell you when when i was told you know you're and you're gonna be in a toga it was like what the hell you know <laughs> what i'm gonna yeah, wear really? yeah. yeah you're gonna wear a toga yeah, yeah. all right yeah okay sure well you but, look better uh, than jim yeah, Ross, that was the first you. one <laughs> not by much <laughs> <laughs> who were you know who were some of the guys because i tell you uh, todd my first year there and as i mentioned i was this i came from uh you know i was as, probably as uh, a big a wrestling fan at the time as you were and uh if mm-hmm. there weren't a few of those guys there that took me under their wing uh, one of them was gorilla monsoon i've mentioned many times lord alfred Hayes. Yeah. uh who were some of the the uh the people there that that looked out for you initially because you both, both you and I, we could talk about how how long, how long it really 
takes to get in there. And I and I never I never describe oh. it as being in, but more just accept yeah. So who were some of the ones that yeah, it's like, it, I think Sean, it's like uh, if when you move to Texas, you know, you're never you're never a Texan. You're just yeah, living yeah, in yeah, Texas, exactly. and right. that's sort of what it's like. But uh, yeah, Gorilla Monsoon, I, I got to say, just a dynamite person, as you know. He he was terrific. Um, really, uh, Kevin Dunn was uh, amazing to me. Um, he shepherded me through. There were guys that, you know, along the way that I, um, and, and you, you have to forgive me because my whole vernacular with these guys, and, and I, I do it to this day, I never, ever call them by their names, by their real names, because for me, I had to stay in that moment. So there was a lot of guys who off, you know, off camera would, you know, hey, Terry, hey, you know, Rodney, I, I never did that. It was Hulk Hogan, you know, Hey Hulk, you know, I just, for me, I had to stay in it. I, I, I was, I wasn't smart enough to know, all right, no, this is not really Hulk Hogan. That's his character name, you know, but I, 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 so I stayed completely in character and I think I've been there since I left, which is 23 years ago or whatever. But, uh, you know, Ted DiBiase for me was one of the, greatest people right up there with the macho man. Um, you know, Randy was just, I became a very good friend. I actually, you know, phone scammed him and, you know, we used to talk outside of the, the shop and, um, those guys, you know, doc Hendricks, um, the guys that I worked with, you know, were the studio guys because my, my, um, real interaction with the, with the superstars was at pay-per-views. So, you know, when we started doing in your house and stuff like that, I, I got to see him a little bit more, but as you remember, Sean, it was, you know, it, 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 they were rare. There were, I think there were five a year when I started. Yeah. And, and, and I remember, you know, like you said, and this is another thing I wanted to touch on too, is that it was, it was kind of, it was tough to really uh, know what these guys were about the guys that I looked up to and yeah. who I befriended and you know later down the road got to know a lot of the a lot of the wrestlers but initially it was uh, you know the guys in the studio the guys I mentioned yeah and you mentioned though that the what, how tough it was because we were you know I spent a lot of time at the TV studio that's where my life was like you mentioned my family was those guys you met you know like uh, John McCall and Russ Bacon and Jill and 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 uh, it really was a small group of people. I mean, Kevin Dunn was a producer in, in Edit One, you know, and uh, he's done very well for himself. Yeah. Since. But but it was. I mean, you, you know, that you knew everybody in the company. So funny that you mentioned all those people, and I I didn't I don't know how you know inside we get here, but but yeah, all those people that you talked about, Russ and John, and you know, had them to my house. I mean, for for a while, we shot stuff at my house. Um, and Jill and you know, we all became family. You're right. And, and it, it was one of those things where I, if you had a question, if you had it, you didn't, you know, nobody went to Vince, nobody, you know, you, you worked with, you worked on your level. I mean, it, it was never, you know, you know, oh, let me call Vince and ask him like, no, you didn't do that. I mean, he was running a company. So as you know, you, you were just surrounded by those, 
the people that you worked with every day. And, and for me, it was, you know, twice a week. And then they added a third show and it was a live show on for a while. Mania went live and then we did a live Sunday morning show. So you saw these people, you know, I did three times a week and that was a four or five hours at a clip. So you were seeing them more than you were seeing your own family, you know? So it was, it was pretty amazing. Just an awesome group of people. Did you uh, have much of a chance to to uh, interact with Gene? Uh, he would come up to the studio like every three weeks, but um, I just was wondering if like he ever he had much of an influence on you if you really got a chance to spend time with him. Gene and I overlapped. Um, we I wasn't there a, a lot for Gene. Um, it was just a short time, but really looked up to him. Um, classy guy, uh, just a, a wonderful person. And, uh, you know, you yeah, that's about right. He did take a, he did take a time out there with WCW, but, um, I, I was, I, yeah. I knew that there yeah. was, he, he was still there when I left and I just had one, I always wondered if you'd had a chance to, because he was such a, he was a great help to me too. Oh man. I mean the, the, the cigar, you know, I'm sure you remember and Gene was kind of a close talker. So, I mean, that cigar sometimes would tickle your nose and, uh, he was as loud and boisterous and genuine off camera as he was on. And, uh, yeah, I, I learned a great deal about tempo timing and pacing from him because a lot of television is reaction. As you know, when you're talking, it's important when you're not talking, it's more important. And nobody did that better than Gene. Absolutely. Nobody. If you just watch an interview that he did and watch his reaction when he's talking, he's great. When he wasn't, he was better. And that's not a shot at all. That's really high praise in television. Yeah, and and, and someone else you, you've talked about before, and, and I was very close to him, too, was, was Gorilla Monsoon. And uh, can you uh, tell me a little bit about your relationship that you had with him? He, I was the kid. You know, I was the kid to him. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I, I, the stories of him especially in a Vegas setting and, and how I just, there's stuff that movies are made of, you you know, people would say, Oh, Gorilla Monsoon, he's in the casino. And I think he just, I think he just lost, you know, $400,000. Then the next night, you know, Gorilla, (laughs) I think he just won $600,000. And if you ever went up to Gene and, you know, uh, uh, the, the guys who were in that circle, but Gorilla Monsoon was the first guy to go into his pocket for anything, always yeah. without fail. It, yeah. If it was the soda, if you were shooting with him, and, you know, his, God, he was in so much pain sometimes, you know, with his knees and his legs and his back. And, and you know, you'd need a soda or something. He'd go into his pocket, and out would come this seven-inch thick wad of yeah. money. What, what do you need? Do you need a 20? <laughs> you need a... No, I just, I wanted to know if he had changed for a dollar for the soda machine, but he was, he was the most giving, caring, genuine person that I've ever come across. And, and just the, uh, a heart so big that what, what a genuine guy. You almost tear up when you, when you think about it, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, you mentioned Randy, uh, you know, a lot of people don't really know the and the other side of him, and I I got a chance to be close to him, but I know that uh, you I mean you got closer, and and how did that happen? And tell me about that relationship. 
Yeah, that was one that was sort of thrust upon me where they, they thought it would be a great idea to, you know, Randy was, was still wrestling them, but it was, it was less frequent than it used to be. He would, he would still be in the big matches and jump back and forth, but he was such a charismatic entertainer that they needed, they needed him on camera. And they said, well, how about, you know, Randy's on mania. And, and I was like, well, that would be awesome. You know, are you crazy? So I think the, the thing that we did, and, and I don't know if you remember this, but I actually, and this was a, a, a surprise to him. A lot of people don't know where I dressed up as him for the first show and he had no idea. Uh, so we, we did the fake beard. I, I think I wore the, um, Slim Jim outfit. I have a picture of it somewhere, but <laughs> and, and he showed up in the studio and he, you know, it was, a, it was, you know, live, live to tape there. And it was his, his genuine reaction of, you know, humor and being cool with it. And I was, you know, oh, yeah, I'm on the camera and I'm doing the thing for mania. No, so I'm doing my Randy and, you know, out he walks. And that's, that's how our relationship started. And we, we really got tight. Um, we became fast friends. And, and like I said, we would talk on the phone and he was, he was one of those guys too, that you, there were so many people there that, and I don't think, you know, fans watching know because they're these big characters, right. In the, in the ring. And, and what are they like in real life? Well, a lot of them were big characters outside as well, but, but just genuine, you know, Randy would come to the house. Um, it was, it was, it was an amazing relationship and, and became really good friends and, uh, somebody who I'll, who I'll always love and miss dearly uh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And he, he really he was one of those guys that, I mean, it took a long time to get in and, and at least in my, my situation, but once you were in, uh, you know, he was, uh, he was a great friend and, uh, I don't know. Did you, yeah. did you stay in touch at all after, after you left? We did to a degree. I mean, we, we, we would talk on the phone a little bit, but as you know, people get busy. Yeah, Things move on, um, but it was, which is sad, you know, yeah. but that's, that's part of, part of life, I guess. But, but, uh, yeah, not as much as I, I would have liked, yeah. but we were, when we were working together, man, we were, we were tight and he, he'd watch out for me. You know, I mean, I was, I was the new guy. And, and even when I was, as you know, when, even when you're there a few years, you're still the new guy until somebody else comes along. Yeah. Um, so it, it's hard to, it's hard to make your stripes. And I was, I was kind of the, you know, I mean, I, I think as many people hated me as maybe liked me or probably more hated me, but, uh, you know, because I wasn't the true, and I get that. I wasn't the, the wrestling guy, you know, I was yeah. this, this sort of weirdo that, you know, was on there saying goofy things. And, but I'll tell you what, man, nobody learned quicker than I did. And when I was there, I knew yeah. it. And you, you soak it up as you, yeah. as you can testify to you, man, you are immersed in it. And, you know, I'd go on the radio show and, and, you know, back in those days was, oh, wrestling's fake. Right. And I said, yeah, you get in the ring. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, you I take a few of those bumps. Broken neck. Yeah. yeah the backs, you know, and, and that's, you're an athlete, man. You are an athlete in that square circle. And, and, I had the utmost respect for all of them. It was it was just a thrill for me. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, you do, you kind of, uh, even to this day, you kind of live in that kayfabe world. I miss it in, in a sense, but you, it's kind of a, yeah. a badge of honor that you were a part of it. And it's, and you're, and you're protective. I can't help it. I'm still protective of the business today. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. What, what was your schedule like back then? I was trying to think, I mean, you were on the air and I do a morning show where I am. So I'm up, you know, early on the air at 5 a.m. And, and so like people think, oh, he gets on the air at five or whatever, but they don't realize that you're probably there, you know, two hours before that. Plus, I, I think you lived in Manhattan for a while, but I imagine uh, at some point you moved out. So you're, uh, mm-hmm. what was your schedule like then? We, did you live in Manhattan that whole time or did you? No, I only, I lived in the city for the first two years that I was at PLJ. And, okay. and like I said, we had a little, a daughter. So we moved to North Jersey. So I was about, I was near Boy. Montclair. Um, yeah. And we were about, you know, at that time of day, you know, 25 minute commute, uh, unless they were doing construction, which they love to do overnight. Yes. And then you love the GW, the tunnel, you know? Yeah. Oh, you want oh, the tunnel? Yeah. yeah. Oh my I God. I want the tunnel and you know, two days a week, you'd hit the tunnel, be closed for construction. You're like, really? I'm sitting yeah. here. It, it's four o'clock. So I, I would try to get in by close to four, between four and four fifteen to prep for the show. And then we were on from six to 10 yeah. and then two, sometimes three days a week, right after that, the car would be waiting for me. I'd go downstairs or, um, you know, at, at some point I would, uh, do some stuff from North Jersey. But when I was going to Stanford, it was two or three days a week. And then I was yeah. there probably four or five hours and then back home. So you get back home at five or six, have some dinner, go to bed and get up at three fifteen the next day. Wow. And this went on for the whole, pretty much the whole time you were there, right? Six years almost. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. And, and were there, uh, you did a lot of different shows there. Was there one that you really liked doing the, I think the, the live shows or I think action zone, was action zone a live show too, or was that taped? I don't remember. Well, it was, it went back and forth. It, yeah. We did some live, but it was yeah. a tape. It was a tape show. So there were, God, I think there were six or seven shows that I did that were, that were live. Um, and the, my favorite I think was the countdown shows, um, yeah. because you're in, you know, you, you got 30 minutes and it's you and the arena full of people. And there's, you know, that to me was, the most like radio and the most uh, energy rush because, you know, you weren't in a studio with a camera. You were, you know, in front of thousands of people and sometimes tens of thousands of people in an arena and getting them, you know, fired up for the pay-per-view, which was insane. Opening act. That that was it, man. You were opening and, you know, you, you got them riled up, get them fired up, which didn't take much. Because uh, the, the crowds, as you know, were the best crowds. Oh ever. God! There was never a pay per view that I went to where people would go backstage and say, eh, "I don't know, they're yeah. a little light." No, man, <laughs> right. they they were never light. a little down tonight. They I were what's going it, on with them. Yeah. Oh, it was unbelievable! And like you said earlier, they don't forget. Now, I no. was a guy who was there six years. To this day, I mean that the fact that that you even reached out to me is amazing because it, it, they never forget. And listen, that's good and bad because if they hate you, they still hate you 20 years later and 30 (laughs) years later, whatever it is. And, but if they, you know, if you made it 
a little bit of an impact. And I just tried to, I was a fan. I was telling the fan story. That was my role. Yeah. Um, so I, I loved it. I played it up and, and especially during those live shows when you could interact with the crowd, um, that was, that was really some of my favorite times. And then the, the Ted DiBiase, um, show that we did you know the set used to fall apart and oh yeah sometimes we'd we'd be there six hours and because we were laughing we couldn't get through a take you know <laughs> i i could look at him a weird way and it would set him off and vice yeah. versa and man there were some nights i'd get out of there at seven o'clock and my sides hurt from laughing it was yeah. just it was just hysterical yeah that must have been fun um how about that? Did you balance these two lives? Because I hear you—you are—you are you were a huge uh, radio personality. I mean, uh, it was it six times you're a Billboard personality, Billboard magazine. <laughs> yeah, uh, that that and a quarter. Of what you're uh, I know, right? but it, but really, and and then <laughs> and and the thing is, you know, you're on the air, so you still can go to a restaurant. Uh, you know, let somebody hears your voice and they go, "Oh, I know you," but. What about the other side of this? Because the WWE was, uh, it was, it was a, in a weird period. We'll talk about that too, but, uh, uh, for wrestling, but, uh, a whole different fame for you. And, and, uh, what did it change? Was it, was it different, uh, for you to, to adjust to that, uh, where people, did they would recognize you out on the streets? Well, I think what was nice is that we were doing some commercials, uh, for the radio station. So uh. we were playing in movie theaters and then we, we did some, some television and we did, you know, a couple of things. So that was, that was rolling <laughs> once I started. So it, it got magnified for sure. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Uh, when I started, you know, doing the stuff for the, for, for wrestling, it, 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 yeah, it was huge. I mean, it was, as you know, and, and that was a period that was a little bit down, um, yeah. After 93. Yeah. 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 Very cyclical. And, and so that was sort of a period and there was a lot of WCW and back and forth and Ted Turner and what's he doing? And this is, this is, you know, going to destroy us. And so there was, and of course that never happened. And, and Vince would never, and Linda would never allow that to happen because right. they were just so committed to the product, which I found just to be extraordinary, but that's a, it's a whole nother topic. So yeah, it, it was, um, pretty, pretty strange to be, uh, I'll never forget uh, on vacation. Um, and, and you don't, you could take a break. See, when you did the radio, you were on television in New York doing commercials. They didn't run them anywhere, but when you're, when you're on camera for the WWE, WWF, well, it's worldwide. So I was in Aruba, and I got recognized and I, I signed an autograph in London and, you know, cause I did things for Sky yeah, Sports yeah, and it, it yeah. that to me was the really, really strange part. Cause it yeah. used to be on vacation. You got a little break and you were like, all right, well I can do what I want to do. Right. And, but not, not then man, it's international. So that, that was, that was very strange. Yeah. And, and during that period, as we just mentioned, it was, uh, it was a strange time in, in wrestling. Vince was coming off that big steroid trial, uh, or was embroiled yeah. in it, uh, you know, at that point, I don't know when you first got there, but, um, and, and the business, yeah. yeah. And the business across the board. I mean, I remember before I left, it was kind of, they were cutting, you know, cutting everywhere. And I remember they, I remember they took the, 
the uh, water cooler out of the, you know, one of the, the cafeteria, the eating areas. I'm like, geez, things are <laughs> getting a little, you know, what's next? But, yeah. uh, but it was, it was yeah. a, it was a, you know, like you said, it's cyclical and, uh, but it was, people were wondering like, what's going to happen next? You know, Vince was even going to be a, a, at the building. And, right. uh, but did you really notice it at the time? I mean, uh, you didn't know what, what business was roaring. So uh, they just kept moving forward. And when did you see it start to turn? Because, yeah, you, you left right as kind of the attitude era was beginning to take off. So what, what about yeah. that period that you were there? Well, the, the thing I remember mostly was, was that Linda was day-to-day running things. Yeah. Um, at, at when Vince was, you know, going through the trial, and, and she was just stoic. She was amazing. And, and we all, you know, it's like a family. So. Right, we right. felt like they were going after our dad, you know, and, and that was, it was personal. So mm-hmm. everybody there was, was even closer than, than, you know, I think ever. Um, and especially going through the, the WCW times, it was, it was very strange for a couple of years where you yeah. weren't certain, you know, and there were, uh, if you remember, Sean, there were all the, the promos and the, you know, attacking each other and back and forth. It, it was a cool time to be there, but it was also strange because you never knew what mode you were going to be in or what direction you were taking uh, yeah. from week to week. It could really change that quickly, depending upon what Dave Sahadi dreamed up in the edit bay. Um, yeah. You know, just a genius editing. Uh, but but you never knew whether you were going on the attack, whether you were laying back, whether you know what what matches you were pushing for what reason. Um, but it was it was a really strange time. It, but yeah. learned a lot, and and I think you know being somewhere for and I think that could be considered a, a downturn um, because after that, as you said, with the new attitude era and things really took off and you know my claim to fame is whenever things get really successful they get rid of me which is (laughs) i go go away yeah so yeah it was uh interesting but you you know you were there though at a at a a time and and i i wonder if you remember uh you know you had uh a guy named dwayne johnson and uh steve austin who really hadn't found their place yet and and really, I mean, it, I mean, struggling uh, to find their way. Do you uh, remember uh, looking back and saying, eh, "This guy might have something." This uh, this rock guy who wasn't the rock uh, at that point, or you know, Rocky Maivia. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, there were there were guys that you knew were sort of destined for yeah. for that kind of thing, but. But it, that, that was sort of one of my claims to fame where I was I'm actually the answer in a Trivial Pursuit game. Who was the first one to interview The Rock um, when he made his appearance not as The Rock? But, yeah, he was, um, uh, as you know, too, a, a, just a quiet, sort of uh, calm dude mm-hmm. who exploded and became, yeah. you know, one of the biggest stars on the planet. Um, but during that same time, we had characters like gold dust where right. you were like, what is going on? <laughs> like where, that's what I mean. Like, where are we going? Here? Yeah. Yeah. You know, what are we doing? But see, that was the brilliance of Vince. 
he was so ahead of where the rest of the world was going. He was, he was clearly 10 years ahead on everything he did. And then it all caught up at once. And that's when it blew up again. Um, it, it was, it was amazing to watch because the dichotomy of char- the characters with the new, number of new characters, you know, you remember Doink? I mean, Oh yeah. I, I love Doink. And Dink, you yeah. know, and it's like, really? Who, who can Vince <laughs> could do that? That's, that's who could get away with that. Because, yeah. And then here comes gold. Yeah. And then, you, you know, and I remember doing the slamming. And, and I did a, you know, like a parody song and I had no idea how that was going to go over. Cause it, you know, it pushed the line. That's when we were starting to get a little more attitude and get a little more aggressive, but it was, um, and again, I, that's Vince. I mean, he saw the whole board, man. He just, I wouldn't play battleship with him cause he'd know where your ship is like in one move. Yeah. Hey, when I tell you, I did want, I wanted to mention that and I'm glad you did. That that Slammy Awards performance, I loved it. I, did you write that? Because I, it it should get a lot more credit than it's that it's received. Well, thank you, but yeah, no, I mean, really, that's it was sort it was, of what I did. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was you know, I stuff. did parody songs my whole career on the radio. Yeah. So when they yeah. asked me to, so can you put something together? I said, well, can I do like a, you know, because the Academy Awards, when Billy Crystal was doing it, it was always, yeah. remember he do these parodies featuring yeah. all the movies. So I said, it'd be great to do that for the Slammies. Um, but, you know, I was terrified because I had no idea the reaction. None of them knew the material before. Um, yeah. And I took some shots, you know, it was, it was, it was not, you know, very positive. Oh yeah. The, was, the triple H in China, that was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the, I don't know if that was a shoot when she that that look that death glare she gave you, but yeah, but but really it was I tell you it was it was uh, very clever. Like I said, I, I, as as we got into this, that really I always thought you were just uh, so incredibly creative. I, I remember the impressions you would do, uh, you know, your Gleason and uh, you know even. Probably people that were watching didn't even know who some of them were, but I certainly did. I grew up with all like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was it was awesome stuff. And um, I think, as you mentioned in the lesson, you just got to go for it. And uh, like someone like yeah. The Rock and, and Steve Austin did at the time, that when they oh. finally let go, Todd, that's when it happened for them. When when they got to a point yep. and they said, you know what, this ain't th- what I'm what they're telling me to do ain't happening. So you know what, f it, I'm just gonna go. And just go run with this. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't. I'm, I'm maybe I'm done. But uh, it's you know yeah. you've kind of always gone uh, followed that path as well. I, I imagine because uh, you yeah, know, it's an never stopped you creative. Do you think? Do you think that that was Vince? I mean, do you think that Vince talked to you know Steve and said, "Listen, do you and and here's this character," or do you think that that was more Steve because that that was obviously when you come up with a character, right, you, you draw it up in your mind and then the character takes on its own life and, and you don't know, some of them are going to work and some of them aren't, but, but, you know, stone cold was really one of those that was just almost over the top in your face. And it, and it bordered a little bit on scary, and it yeah. really shook things up. It was like you didn't know if this guy was just nuts or, 
you know, where, and even where they took the undertaker, you know, it, later on, um, it, I, I, I would love to get your take on that. Did you, do you think that was Vince or do you think that was the guys? No, I think, I think it got to the point that where, um, they had reached that, that, uh, the point, like with the WCW in that competition, they had, you know, they had lost all those weeks. And I think yep. they had gotten to a point where they just like really felt, you know, I don't know, you know, what to do next. And when they just yeah. took off the, you know, the chains, I mean, in a sense to these guys and got back to what worked, I think, in a lot of ways in the in the 80s. You know, those those personalities, Todd, were they weren't scripted. They were, you know, they no. just knew those characters so well that they said, OK, what, right. what's the right. storyline? And then they would say, OK, this is where we are in the storyline. This is what this guy would say. And they would go right into it. And, you know, Randy Savage was yep. one of those guys, you know, Hulk, of course. But there were other guys that, you know, that just got better and better at their promos. If somebody would have handed them a piece of paper with a with a script on it, they would have it would have been terrible. Oh. They might have been able to memorize yeah, it. It would have never worked. Right. And it I think that worked. I think at that point with those two that, yeah, they, they had some guidance and they had, you know, people involved. I mean, Chris Chambers is a really uh, close friend of mine and I've uh, known him forever and he was directly involved in a lot of that creative, which uh, he doesn't get enough credit for, I don't think. And, and of course, Kevin yep. is, is brilliant, you know, I mean, uh, from the, the time I knew him. But I think that when, you know, you can give someone a, a great bit, you know, you can give them a great gimmick. But if they don't have it, if they don't have the presence, if they don't have the ability, they, that's not going to go anywhere. We see every, everything. I mean, you could have seen somebody could have gotten The Undertaker and that could have lasted a month and a half. And and it would, right. could have been done. So, but yep. I think at that That's point, right. those two guys, you know, they just said, you know what, I'm just going to feel it. I'm going to go. And uh, a lot of that stuff, they would go out there, and I know for a fact they'd be, they, you know, have maybe have a few lines that they want them to say, and they just go off script. And that's when it started. Yeah, happening. it was bullet points, and I, and yeah. and I think that's yeah. what made that's what made it work too, because that's how we were. We were yeah. never given scripts. We were given yeah, right. bullet points. So, hey, make yeah. sure you hit this, this, and this, and then otherwise. Yep. You know, it's a hard out at 60, you know, yeah. so do your thing. Yeah, people always ask me, you know. So what, I had to hire like, people that could sell. Yeah, but people ask me about the event center. You know, I used to customize those markets when I would sit in that damn studio for hours and hours. You know this. And uh, they said, well, God, would you sit in front of the teleprompter? I'm like, are you kidding me? You think I could customize oh. for where they're switching that up? I had a, I had a, a camera that, that used the teleprompter uh, technology just to put the card up. That's what I had in front of me. Right. And, and, right. Uh, and you, you know, you were the same way. I mean, uh, you were like one take. I mean, they would, you would just go and say, okay, what am I, what am I hitting here? And, and you would do it. And that, a lot of that, you know, probably that training you had from radio was a thousand times better than you could have ever developed as a, in front of a camera. I mean, I can tell you that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what, that's what radio is, right? Yeah. So you, you have a break and you, if you have an eight minute break, you better know where you're going. You got to yeah. have like any good story, a beginning, a middle and an end, but everything else is painting a picture. And yeah. that's what, that's what Vince believed in. And he, you know, he always preached that television is movement. It's yeah. got to be active. It's, yeah. you've got to move. You've got to tell a story, paint a picture with your words. And that's why it works. You yeah. know, it's theater. And, and it's theater with amazing athletes. Right. Um, and, and, and nothing could ever go athletes. wrong, right? Nothing could ever go wrong. Right? You say that. Can't. Okay. How yeah. can it? Yeah. At, at what point, did, 
but at what point did it start to wind down for you uh, after six years? And I, 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 you mentioned that schedule ahead. I don't know how the hell you did it uh, as long as you did, uh, considering you know what what you were doing. You know, at a full time job in the morning, and then you're doing this other stuff plus traveling when they needed you to as well. Uh, did it was it just a matter of like after a while you just it just started to wear wear you down? Yeah, I didn't have a vacation in six years because I used all my vacation time for pay-per-views. So oh, it, wow. it, it burned, man. It, yeah, it was, yeah. it was just a lot. And my wife was like, well, how, how can you continue to do this? And are we yeah. ever going to take a vacation? And yeah. I was, I loved it, but I, I physically couldn't do it after a while. And that's what, you know, there was a lot of rumors too. Oh, they fired me and they didn't, yeah. I, I, they, I was never fired. We went in and I said, look, I, I, I don't think I can do this. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just, I love it. It's, it's great, but physically, and, and sometimes Sean, it was three or four times a week in Stanford. And then when they added in your house, it was every month pay-per-view. So it it wasn't like, Hey, it's five times a year. And you, you know, you fly in on a Friday and you fly out, you know, you take, so you take Monday off from work, you know, but then it, it was every month. Yeah. Um, and it just, it just got to be too much, you know, and, and everybody was great. And that's, that's why I brought, um, Sean in or Michael and, uh, you know, because I, there were no hard feelings. And I said, look, this guy is, is great. He's been a fan for years. Give him a look. Um, and you know, the rest obviously is history there. Yeah. And, and as he mentioned, Sean Colthard, who is, uh, as we know today is Michael Cole has had a tremendously mm-hmm. successful career with the WWE. Uh, did he have play-by-play experience or did he come in there? I mean, I, I, we know he was a great big, you know, he was a, a huge wrestling fan, but where, yeah. what experience did he have before he got there besides, uh, you know, getting the incredible training from, from Todd Pettengill? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, Sean would be a guy who even back in the Albany days, and that's how uh, long we've known each other. This goes back 30 years, um, was always doing play-by-play whenever I went to him. If it was something about wrestling, he went into it. He launched into it. But it's like anything. When you do it and you're under fire, you either get good or you get gone. Right. You know, there's no no in-between, especially if you're sitting next to Vince. Right. Um, You you better be on your game because you won't be there long. Yeah. He did did not, you know, he gave you some rope, but just enough to hang yourself. And if you did, have a nice day. He was running the business. You know, right. at the end of the day, this is a business and it's designed to make money. And if you're good, awesome. And if you're not, we got to find somebody who can carry the water. Yeah. And Sean was always great. I mean, sorry, Michael, say Sean. Well, I'm, uh, it's, it's always a shoot with me. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> did you ever, did you have a final conversation with Vince before you left? I, you know, I didn't. I, I got a nice note from Vince. Uh, that I still have, um, mm-hmm. that he thanked me for everything I did. He said, you were a, an asset. You were here at a, a very turbulent time. And before too much time passed, I wanted to say thank you for your contributions. Um, and that was, I, you know, because Vince was traveling and not at the studio a whole bunch back then. So I never really, you know, subsequently we've had phone conversations and things, but, um, no, I, I never, had a, an official goodbye um, with Vince. We're really, you know, because it was just one of those things where 
we agreed that it, you know, it, it was going to change. And then I brought in Sean and, and, you know, it was sort of a, I had hoped a smooth transition because when you, when you tell somebody, Hey, listen, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. Um, okay. you want to take care of them because they took care of you. So I said, this guy will be great. You know, yeah. you, you won't even miss me. He's better than I am. And, and you'll, you know, you won't miss a beat. So I felt like I sort of paid it back, uh, because I couldn't just couldn't physically do it anymore. It was for no other reason other than it was time for me to, you know, take a little bit of a break and go on vacation and, you know, enjoy my kids a little bit, my wife. And, um, you know, it was really nothing more than that. It, there was no, you know, people over the years have said, well, you know, he, they fired him and he, you know, yeah, yeah. broke his contract. It, none of that. None of that ever happened. Yeah. Yeah. Believe me, I know the same thing. People said the same thing about me and that, that wasn't the case either. I sat in an <laughs> right. office with Vince and said, I don't want to do this. I, I, I've got other things I want to do. He's like, you're going down south, aren't right. you? And I'm like, no, I'm not, Vince. If I'm going to work for anybody in wrestling and professional wrestling, it's going to be you. And, uh, right. you know, so uh, when you, you, you've been in radio now, God, so I think you got a birthday coming up. Uh, 40 years? I do. I do. Yeah, it's like 40 years? Yeah, now? it'll be almost, almost, almost. Yeah. Wow. And I, I'm not I stocking, by the way. It. it was right there on the Wikipedia page, so. <laughs> don't think I don't think I had Only a price. Only half uh, of that stuff's true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No kidding. I mean, that stuff is worth. You better do your homework beyond that. Uh, you know, if you're <laughs> looking up on somebody, I could tell you that for sure. I was from Phoenix forever. I used People to worry said, about it, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to worry about that stuff, and yeah. they wrote stuff, and you realize, listen, you can't control it. No. Whatever it is, it's out there, and that's how it goes. But I mean, I mentioned uh, forty years in radio, and and that I guess that's got to be your your first love, and you're still doing it. Uh, you said you know at PLJ now for God, twenty eight years. Uh, do you still still love it when you get up in the morning, get in front of that mic? I do. I don't think you could do it if you didn't, because the yeah. hours are just too taxing. You know, you you sacrifice a lot. You sacrifice a personal life and. Yeah. Um, because you, you have to, you have to be in bed by, you know, nine. I know and, yeah, you're the and, guy, you're the guy yeah. that's always, I got to go. Love to, you yeah, had a great time. It's seven 30. I know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I remember going to bed before my kids for a lot of years as they got older and they'd be like, I'm good night. I'm going to bed. I got to get up at three o'clock. Yeah. Crazy. But, uh, uh, you also have a production company, uh, is that still, are you still uh, just as busy doing these other projects as well? Of the... Oh yeah, it's, it's very busy. I opened i I'm, I'm actually sort of uh, doing a, a commute back and forth from New York. I have, I bought a place in Texas and uh, we'll, we'll definitely retire here. Um, and I have a, a, a music studio down here that we record, you know, full album production and the video company still does, uh, good, some good work. And, uh, it, it keeps me busy. That'll sort of be my next phase. Um, as the, as the radio thing winds down, because it's, you know, I think 40 years is good. So I, <laughs> you never say yeah. never, you know, and you yeah. don't know, you don't know what the future will bring, but you know, I, I, I've had a great run in radio and it's, it's, it's been, uh, an amazing journey. But at some point, you you want to 
you know, slow down a little bit. Although, you know, I think you and I really could do, I know this guy is starting a football league. Can you imagine <laughs> if we were an opportunity? Now, yeah. I don't know if you, if you have any strings to pull, but, you know, I have a couple mm-hmm. pretty good commentators that, you know, wouldn't mind sliding right into that. I, t- I think, I hope they're listening. Yeah, that we'd be, we'd be tremendous together. I think. <laughs> or at least send us down on the sideline. We could probably create some, uh, you know, havoc down there as well. There you go. We're It'd used to that, and I, I don't imagine we'd have to wear a toga or anything to do football. No. Well, you never know. I don't know what they're going to do with the XFL, but uh, <laughs> yeah, who knows? But uh, it uh, it sounds That's like, right. though, you, you, you look back on that, that time as uh, very fondly. Uh, is that the oh, case? I mean, do you, do you still, yeah. I mean, oh it, yeah. I mean, there, there was no, there's nothing but fond memories. Like I said, I, I, I was never t- treated poorly. Um, they were so accommodating and, and really to a person, uh, it was just a great experience. Uh, and, and the fact that we're still talking about it, you know, all these years later yeah. is a tribute to, to sort of what we went through. And, you know, like you said, you wear that as a badge and you were part of a club that, that no one can take away, which is yeah. kind of cool. Um, yeah, there aren't really many is. things like that left, you know, uh, it's been great. And, awesome. uh, and congratulations on what you've been doing. I, and, uh, when you do kick back, uh, I know you'll, you'll still be at it doing something creative because, uh, really you are one creative individual. And, uh, like I said, I just wish we would have had more time together at the WWE, but I'm glad we had a chance to catch up today, man. Thank you. Yeah, Sean, I really appreciate you reaching out, man. This was a lot of fun, and uh, thank you very, very much. And for those two people out there who still care what I say, thank you as well. All right, great. What a great episode. What what a great guest to have for our 100th episode of Primetime with Sean Mooney. Uh, I won't do that again, I promise. But, I, you know, it's it's a big deal. It's a big deal to me. 100 episodes of PTSM, and uh, I'm glad that uh, Todd was was a part of it. I don't even know if he uh, knew what a big deal he was going to be for this this episode, our 100th episode. Uh, but, I, you know, I really, I, I, did you see, we had a lot of fun together. I think that uh, I wish we would have had a chance to work together more. Uh, I think you could tell we got along, and uh, there definitely would have been a few laughs along the way, as we did uh, in that podcast. And it wasn't easy for him to come and do what he did. You know, he was from the outside world, really the outside world. And you get thrown into that, uh, you know, I, I did the same thing. But at least I, I had a little more of a chance to kind of stay off the radar. You know, he was kind of thrown right into it all. And, you know, he's at the first pay-per-view out in Las Vegas in a toga, for God's sake. So, <laughs> but uh, really a talented guy and, and very funny, very funny. Uh, for all of our Patreon members, be sure to check out the bonus Q and a with Todd, and, you know, as we're doing this, uh, when I do these, uh, com- when I have these conversations, um, before we do them, we, we put out to our Patreon members that we're, we've got this, uh, conversation coming up and to send us their questions. And so once, uh, we, we have our conversation on the podcast, I, you know, I ask them, Hey, you know what? We got some Questions for our Patreon members, we'd stick around, let me ask you these questions. It's a big shout-out. I'd say uh, who that question's coming from, and we, we ask the question and they answer it. And it really, these have turned out awesome because, you know, I do a lot of research for these episodes, but there's always a question that I didn't think of or it's just so random, but I put them out there anyway because somebody took the time to send them in. They're 
they're a Patreon member, and and that's what we do with this uh, the Q and A. And it has not failed when we've gotten some tremendous answers in these Q and A sessions. And sometimes I re ask a question that I know we've already covered. But I know that between the time when I asked that during the conversation, probably a few things came into their head that they didn't say when I asked them, and it comes back to them. And really, we've we've had some uh, great Q&As, and Todd Pettengill's is no exception. So for all of our Patreon members, uh, check that out when you get done listening to this episode. Uh, he's got uh, some more great stories, all derived from your questions. Uh, you asked, and we got the answers from Todd. Uh, that's another great perk for being a member of our uh, PTSM family on Patreon. If you haven't joined us yet, what are you waiting for? Huh? What's going on? Just go to patreon.com slash primetimemooney. All right? Patreon.com slash primetimemooney. Become a primetimer or a mooney or a member of the Legion of Who. I like using that voice today. Sorry. Uh, another bonus, our Patreon birthday shoutouts. And we've got a few this week. So... Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, a belated happy birthday to Matt Miller, whose birthday was on May 4th, also A.J. Murtaugh, happy birthday to you, A.J., his birthday is May 8th, and of course, Matthew Galella, Matthew, happy birthday to you, his birthday is on May 10th, all right? And I love hearing from you guys. Please keep the feedback coming. You can get in contact with me just about, you know, for any reason, uh, through G- our, our email account. And that is primetimemooney at gmail.com. Primetimemooney at gmail.com. Keep them coming. We'll have another great episode on the way next week as we start the next 100. The next 100 episodes. Still hard to believe. I can't believe this. 100 episodes. I hope you've enjoyed listening. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out for now. Hey.